You know what's important? Educating our youth about the importance of hunting, fishing, and conservation. What easier way to do that than to share our passion with them by reading them children's books about, well, hunting and fishing. Head to explorethetheoutdoorsbooks.com. You can engage and educate young children on the outdoors, promote spending time in the outdoors with family, and inspire the next generation of conservationists. It's as easy as that. Head to explorethetheoutdoorsbooks.com. I already went there, picked up some copies of the books from my kids, Good Luck Fishermen and Good Luck Hunters. They have a new book called Deer Camp coming out in September, right around the time most deer seasons are starting. So perfect timing. And they're a family-owned business. So again, explorethetheoutdoorsbooks.com. Check it out. Having any trouble bringing coyotes from long distances away when you're in the field trapping? Well, look no further. Turn to Dunlap Lures. They have a lure called Hellfire. It's a long call lure with skunk essence that will bring in coyotes from a long ways away. How do I know? Because I've tried it. I bought Hellfire and on a property where I had not seen a coyote yet, it brought in my first coyotes that I had seen just within a matter of a couple of days. And they're a family-owned business. Trapping's in their blood. They've been doing it for generations, and they're continuing the process now. So look no further. Buy from Dunlap Lures. Go to DunlapLures.com. Hey guys, this is Sam Hunter. Welcome to the Sam Hunter Podcast, where we discuss all things hunting, trapping, and fishing. Hey, Tori, welcome to the Sam Hunter Podcast. How are you doing, man? Doing good. How are you? Doing great. And uh, if you would just give us a quick intro, you know, who you are and how you got into hunting in the first place. Well, I am Tory Cook. I own and operate MFK Game Calls out of South Arkansas, and I got into it just lifestyle. I've uh, been hunting and fishing all my life and didn't have any in, uh, intentions of going into the hunting industry necessarily, but I started building calls, and people started competing with them, winning contests, and it just kind of turned into a business uh, unexpected, I guess you could say. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about getting started at an early age. That's really how a lot of our guests um, have gotten started. I was more of a late bloomer. uh, And one of my cousins who he hunted all his life, he took me, um, you know, much later than most people start. And I got hooked on it then. But considering you got started at an early age, um, when did coyote, what's your earliest memory of coyote hunting? You know, you may have gotten started fishing or hunting deer or whatever the case may be, but when did coyote hunting sort of come into the picture for you? Well, I mean, right from the beginning, but it was more from a trapping standpoint than it was calling. Uh, my grandpa trapped and my uncles, my dad. So I got into the, you know, into the predator stuff from trapping and went and checked traps and stuff like that with my dad. You know, he would carry me before I was even walking. So for as far back as I can remember, actually getting into the calling side of it i was a little older still still really young i'm gonna say in that probably 10 12 years old my uncle bobby had got into uh predator calling some 
and he carried me a few times and actually gave me a Johnny Stewart tape recording of one of the rabbit sounds. Don't even remember which one it was. And uh, I had it on a Fisher Price, one of the little junky Fisher Price tape players, read long book style tape players with the tiny little speaker in it. Oh, wow. We we always lived in the country. So I carried it out behind the house one day. And uh, that was my first called in predator by myself was with that Fisher Price tape player and that rabbit sound. But I called up a gray fox and killed it and ended up killing several fox with that Fisher Price tape player. Wow, <laughs> that's little... pretty incredible. I've never kids. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody calling in something with Fisher Price before. So they probably <laughs> they probably didn't even realize they had a good predator call out there. I know it. From there I went up to like a, a dollar store jam box that had a little bit bigger speaker in it and I was toting that thing around playing rabbit sounds with it. So <laughs> it uh but it got me started, got me interested in it and uh you know kind of progressed from there over the over the years. Right. And for all our listeners, um, you can check out MFK Game Calls in a couple different spots. Uh, one of those is YouTube. Um, and Tori's got some incredible videos out there that we'll talk about a little bit further down the show. Um, some of the stuff we're even going to hit right up front, but some really, really informational stuff. Um, some videos that have some content that I've never seen before out of any of the other well-known coyote hunters. Just the way he does things is a little different. And outside of YouTube, you know, there's, they're also on Facebook, but tell me where else uh, people could find M- MFK Game Calls who want to order some. Well, of course, the website, mfkgamecalls.com. That's, uh, that's got all our sound files, uh, our diaphragms, all our products and apparel there. And then we're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, like you mentioned. Those are the, the main platforms that they can find us on. Absolutely. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about coyotes here, calling, um, even sort of the different sides of it, knowing now that you had some experience, you know, at a young age into the trapping side of it, trapping versus hunting, all these different things. But before we even go there, I want to start with something you did on the YouTube channel. That's something I've never seen done before. Uh, I thought it was a genius idea, you know, in terms of getting a, a better look at what coyotes, um, just their personalities, not only their personalities, but uh, you know, how they operate really and getting a better look at it was you started a series of episodes on YouTube where, um, you know, you had some young coyotes that you sort of brought up to watch how they did things and observe. So kind of walk us through how that idea came about, how you got those coyotes, and, and kind of what those coyotes have taught you so far. Well, with everything I get into, whether it be deer hunting or whatever, uh, turkeys, I've always found out that if the more I learned about the animal and its behavior, the better I was at calling, killing them, whatever. And so when I got into the hunting stuff, I'm real competitive, especially, you know, within myself. So I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about coyotes and their behavior because I thought it would help me call them up and kill them and all that kind of stuff. So I had the opportunity to get some some pups, some newborn pups. And the actual backstory on it, if you want the real story, is I killed the parents and found the den. And I just took over uh, as one of the parents and I tried to interact with those coyote pups as best I could like the adults would. I, I went through the entire process with trying to communicate with them with coyote type sounds and feed them just like they would. And of course I was doing tons of research along the way uh, to find out as much as I could about coyotes, 
behavior, different time frames in their life cycle, how the adults interact with the pups. And I tried to mimic that as close as I could to what would happen in the wild. And I kept those cows. Now I did move them from their den and made them a den closer to my house in the woods and just interacted with them from the time that they, that I got my hands on them all the way through until they were adults. And I fed them, you know, the, once they get about three weeks old, they start eating regurgitated food from the adults. Of course, I didn't go out there and regurgitate food, but I tried to mimic that (laughs) as close as possible with the way that I was feeding them, make them interact with me before I would feed them and, you know, just recreate the wild interaction as close as I could. And, you know, from there, just watched them interact. I mean, it was the amount of time that I had invested in them, not just me, me and my wife. I mean, she helped me uh, a tremendous amount with, uh, with this, she was kind of behind the scenes, but it was a huge undertaking still is. And in order to interact with coyotes and keep them around, it's almost a, a 24 hour a day deal. I mean, I was spending more time with those coyotes in the woods than I was at home. And once they bond with you, it's, they kind of accept you as part of the group. And I was able to interact with them, hunt with them. I'd go out with them every day as they got older and just let them do their thing. And I followed around, follow them around and recorded them, you know, both video and audio. And that's how I got all the unique footage and a lot of the unique audio files that we've got now. They're all, you know, just couch doing their thing. And I would record them doing that. And so that's that's how the videos and the audio that we have to now are, you know, on the website and on the YouTube channel. That's how that came about. That's incredible. And, you know, when you say you hunted with them, do you mean you'd go out and you'd watch them hunt and sort of observe that? Or you'd actually hunt different animals with them? And if it was a rabbit or something, you'd let them have it. How did that sort of work with hunting with them? It was just me. It was them hunting. You know, they would early on. It was, like I said, kind of kind of mimicking what would happen in the wild with them starting to venture out with me as though I was the adult and they would kind of spread out and do their own thing. And I would just observe them exploring and hunting. And it started off small, you know, them catching insects, foraging for berries, you know, stuff like that, that they would, that they would come across. They're actually scared of, of most, that's something, you know, that a lot of people don't know. They think coyotes just automatically start catching and killing. And, that's kind of a learned deal, uh, birds and stuff like that, that we would come across. They were actually scared of most of that stuff to begin with until they, until they start catching and killing for the first time. And then it progresses from there, but I would just observe them, you know, we, they would, I would get them started and initially they were more following me. And as it progressed, they started branching out and doing their own thing. And I would, you know, I would watch them and nothing gets by them. If they smell something, hear something, I mean, they found, I've got tons and tons, hours of footage of them. And a lot of this stuff will come out. I'm, I've just started releasing a lot of my footage, but just tons of footage of them finding mice nest, running across fawns for the first time. That's a real interesting video. I was out just walking with these coat pups in the woods and they ran across a fawn. And their instinct to chase it was there, but when it would stop and, turn around and you know they didn't really know what to do so that's a real interesting video that'll come out later on but i got to see tons of stuff like that where they're interacting with animals you know that are 
typically going to become prey, you get to see them interact with them for the first time and, you know, how they react to it, how they go about, you know, finding it and then progressing to catching and killing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, just been a fascinating deal. And I probably learned more in the two years that I've been interacting with live goats at close range than I did in all my years hunting combined. And I've been messing, you know, I'm, I'm 41 now. So, you know, that's, and I've been hunting coyotes and deer and all that stuff for as long as I possibly could, um, you know, since I could walk and do it. So that just gives you a, a little glimpse of how much information I've learned in two years versus all the years hunting. It's, it's phenomenal to get out there and watch them and, and get to see them, act the way they act you know most of the time you don't get to see that stuff you just don't get close enough to them and it's different when you're calling them and observing them you know coming into a call you don't get to see all the intimate stuff that they do behind closed doors so to speak right no absolutely and i commend you for doing that because it's a bold move it's something that i've definitely never heard of anyone trying and i'd be surprised here if anyone else ever had um, so, and I think it's a great experiment. And like you said, just hearing that you've learned more in the, in these past couple of years with you doing this, than all those years of hunting shows how valuable that was. And I can tell just from you doing that experiment and that situation, it's obvious that, you know, you're not just a hunter, you're creative in the way that you go about things and creative in the way that you hunt. Um, and you know, it's like, I'm always trying to experiment as well. I've never done anything near as, um, you know, just, uh, you know adventurous but also just out of the box really is that um now some things i've sort of messed around with when i had some coyotes at the house that would only come in that three to four a.m range um some different things i tried because i tried to call them in, right to our house uh you know in those wee hours like evening or early morning and they wouldn't come then but i'd always see them on the trail cam you know three to four a.m so eventually i tried different things like i would you know my wife thought uh, it was pretty funny, some of the stuff I was trying, but I'd even go to go to bed a couple of nights and I had the collar for an e-collar in my hand. So why do you got the why do you have the e-collar in your hand? I told her, well, I put the collar down in the woods uh, near some scent that I put out to try to get the coyotes to come out, put the collar down there as well. And I'm just going to do this uh, at different points in the night. I have my alarm set, you know, whatever it was, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Um so I could still get rest, but every time I'd wake up, hit the collar, try a different, you know, fond distress or different things. And I had the camera going so that I could mark what call I did. Did the coyote come into the camera? And so I've tried some, you know, a little bit out of the box experiments, but, you know, some of those gave me some knowledge. Some of them didn't really work at all. Um, but it's really cool to see something so far out of the box that I just really don't feel like anyone's ever tried before. So considering, you know, like, like I said, from what I tried with the different calling experiments, there wasn't a, there wasn't really a good, um, series of data that I could follow. Like, oh yeah, they always came in at 3 a.m. when I did the fawn distress. They always came in at 2 a.m. when I did the rabbit distress, nothing like that. So for you, you obviously have learned a lot from your experiments. What would you say are maybe the top three things that you learned from, from this experiment of getting these coyotes as pups? Uh, as it relates to what, just their behavior or to hunting or I, I would say to hunting, uh, just different things they showed you about their personality that maybe you didn't know before in hunting and you realized, okay, I can use that now on the hunt. Well, just, uh, 
I would say some of the top things are some of the some of the things that I used to believe about coyotes as it related to hunting versus what I know to be fact now. And one of those would be I didn't believe I didn't put a whole lot of thought into educating coyotes. And you hear about that a lot of times when people are talking about hunting. And since having coyotes, you know, I thought when I called one up, you know, if, if he got away or something like that, wasn't too big a deal. Call him up later that type deal but after having coats it's amazing how quick they educate to all sorts of things they take everything that happens as a negative or a positive and their memory on it is phenomenal they don't forget it so and this could be anything but as it as it relates to hunting when they hear a sound or anything that happens they smell you any of that stuff i guarantee you they they pick up on it it educates them so that's one of the things that right off the bat coyotes do educate and they do educate very quick so somebody that's hunting and going in and calling up coyotes you need to kill them and you need to kill them pretty quick or you're going to have trouble killing those coyotes especially on those sounds so you know going back into spots that you've hunted multiple times i would i would tell people to keep that in mind because they do learn very quick on stuff like that now if you're killing them you can keep going because you're not really educating but if you're having coyotes come in and get away bust you stuff like that they educate very quick another thing another big myth and uh, something that you hear people talk about all the time especially when they're talking about vocals and vocalizations on coyotes and i didn't believe this either at first but coyotes definitely recognize each other's voice they recognize the howls they identify those howls as family members or not and whether that's a you know a coyote that should be in their territory or a coyote that should not be in their territory and you hear a lot of scenarios where people are howling with an e-call or they're howling with a diaphragm or hand call or whatever and they create the scenario in their mind that they're saying they're doing a lone howl and they're saying you know hey everybody uh i'm over here let's go play or whatever and that's never the message that you're you're sending or they are trying to send out a message that they're a lost member of the group or something like that that's that's never happening anytime you howl and use vocalizations those coaches recognize it every single time as an unidentified as a stranger you're never tricking them into thinking that this is the lost mate. You know, I've heard people say they call in a pair and they shoot one and they howl again. And, you know, the, the mate thinks that it's the lost mate. That's right. never the scenario. They recognize each other's voice. And it's, it's very clear after having them because I can use vocalizations. And like, for example, me howling to call my coyotes in. They recognize that. It's very you know, they recognize it just like they recognize each other's voice, just like we recognize each other's voice. And so when you're calling coyotes, not that it really matters because it, it works either way, but when you're calling coyotes and you're using vocalizations, they're responding to it because it's a, a strange coyote in their territory. So that was another thing that I didn't believe that they recognized each other's voice and uh i've picked up on that and it's it's very obvious very clear um another thing is every coyote has a specific personality some of them are very aggressive and bold 
and we'll run right over a call. They're really easy to call up. Usually those are your coyotes as pups that are, you know, the more dominant pups. They're, they just have a, a brave personality. They come in to investigate stuff really quick, run right over the top of you. And then you have other coyotes that are more timid, shy, standoffish, circle. They'll circle calls. They'll, right, you know, right. and this, this could be food or anything. And they know exactly what it is, but they're still, they still have a, completely different personality and so that showed me that when you're calling coyotes depending on what type of coyote you're dealing with it could make you know make it harder or easier to call up and that's why a lot of times when you're calling groups of coyotes or places where you may have three four more coyotes some of those coyotes are going to be a lot easier to kill off a piece of property than other ones not necessarily because you're doing anything right or wrong with your calling or with your setups. It's just the personality of that coyote and how they react to stuff. Some of them are just standoffish by nature and real timid. So those were three things that I guess I didn't know or didn't believe prior to interacting with coyotes daily and stuff that I now know to be, you know, fact. Um, there's no question about it. Those things definitely happen um uh, one other thing and i just i don't know if you saw the video i did whimpers you see a lot of sound libraries and information put out female whimpers breeding whimpers estrus whimpers all that kind of stuff and most of those whimper sounds are always associated with either female coyotes or breeding sounds and so i always thought that and after having coyotes the males whimper they make the exact same sound that the female makes and they do it year round. Now there is a spike in it when they, when they're breeding or when they have pups or something like that, but it's a communication sound that they use year round. And anytime they get separated and want to get back together, they get excited. You'll hear them do these little fast paced chirps or whimpers that are often mislabeled as, breeding sounds or female sounds when they're actually year-round communications made by male and female coyotes and i've got tons of recordings of both male and female coyotes doing it at all times of the year so so a takeaway from that is those sounds that are labeled as breeding sounds or female whimpers use them year-round because they'll they'll work even though they're kind of directed towards that breeding time frame of the year. Well, that's good to know because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was because we're going to get into, you know, fall, summer, spring, winter. Uh, but one of the things I was going to ask was what's a good year round thing to use. So that answers that with the whimpers. Um, now, you know, you talked about a lot about the, the differences in personality, uh, aggressive coyotes versus timid coyotes. I feel like the majority of what I've seen um, I'm in Georgia and there's a hunting property we have a couple hours out. And then there's our, our home that has, you know, a little bit of land and we get some deer and coyotes. But really in both spots, what I tend to see is the timid coyotes. When I look at the trail cam footage um, and, you know, I had notes I was taking. I had all this research I was doing on these coyotes. But every single one I ever saw, uh, they're looking up in the trees. They're looking down. They're backing up. They're taking a step and jumping back. I mean, they're the most timid, paranoid coyotes I've ever seen, which does make it much more difficult um, and even my brother, you know, on our hunting property, he'll go and he's hunted all night. Uh, and you know, they'll, they'll come up right behind him. He'll hear them. He'll look, they'll move to the other side and they'll go back and they just will not come out in front of us at, at these properties in Georgia that we have. 
Now, I know obviously there's aggressive coyotes everywhere. There's aggressive coyotes in the south and in Georgia. Unfortunately, we just haven't run across any of those. But, you know, it'd be great to have an extra dominant aggressive coyote that just is not afraid to run out into our call or come into our trapping situation with a little less um, paranoia going on. Now, with deer season right around the corner in many places, I do want to ask you this because I've seen a lot of talk about um, if a coyote comes up during deer season, you shoot the coyote. Now, for me, I've seen a lot of talk both ways. I know for me, there's no doubt, 100%, I would I would shoot the coyote, even if it's deer season. But on the, I do want to ask, does that you know start to hinder anything with deer? But even further than that, because I I personally, and you may have some different insight, I personally don't see anything that's going to totally disrupt the deer season by shooting a coyote in the middle of deer season. Now, on the flip side of that, I want to ask your opinion on if you're actively calling them from time to time in deer season, but you still want to get some big bucks, is that going to lower your chances of getting a good deer? If you're actively calling, making the sounds every, let's say you'd every five deer hunts, maybe one of those, you make strictly a coyote hunt and you're calling, is that going to scare away some of the bucks and sort of hinder on your deer season there? Well, I don't think the calling itself, the noise or the coyotes, you know, coyotes, deer and coyotes interact all the time. I've, I've, seen coyotes come past my stand then had deer and even shot pretty good deer uh, after seeing coyotes and the deer walking right through and smelling where the coyotes have been and and had coyotes and deer pass by each other uh, you know in the in close proximity to each other and it not bother them as far as the uh, the calling I don't think the noise itself affects them as at all because I there are many times where I'm calling coyotes and have deer nearby that you know pick their heads up look and go right back to grazing they don't pay much attention to it at all but i do think you know if you're with anything whether it be deer or couch or whatever every time you go in there and you know leave scent and fool around and just the back and forth your presence not so much what you're doing but just your presence in the woods you know pressure human pressure um i think affects all animals you know they if they become aware of your comings and goings regardless of whether you're strictly deer hunting or you're calling couch or whatever i think it affects all of the animals in that in that area you're affecting the couch you're affecting the deer you know whatever whatever feels that pressure of you coming and going in or out whether you're just setting up their bow hunting or rifle hunting for a deer or whether you're sitting there doing the same thing but maybe you run a predator call at the same time, um, the calling itself, I don't think has, has any more effect than you just sitting there silent. Right. Well, that makes sense. And that's good to know because, uh, my brother and I are in very, um, similar yet somewhat different mindsets going into this deer season because he wants, of course, to get great deer again. Um, I want to get, you know, a great coyote, but I was in the mindset of waiting till, winter right when deer season is ending he was kind of in the mindset of going out hard for coyotes right now but also trying to get a deer at the same time and so naturally my concern was is this going to hinder the deer but it's good to hear that that may not be the case at all um so we can just kind of you know continue on and and try to get both uh during the while we're at it I, i guess maybe a more specific answer to the question it would be whatever was more important to me. If I was, if I was focused on killing a big deer, then I wouldn't take any chances by going in and calling coyotes too. But if coyotes were 
my primary focus and that was more important to me than I wouldn't worry as much about, you know, I'd go ahead and do that and, and deer hunt as well. So, I mean, I guess it's just whatever's more important to you because if you're calling coyotes and you would rather kill a big deer than, you know, you're, you are taking that risk of bumping stuff or spooking or whatever. So I would, I guess that's how I would play it if it was me. Absolutely. And that makes sense. Um, now I, we're going to get into, you know, some of your favorite weapons of choice, also weapons based on different situations. And then we're going to get into some M- MFK calls specifically. Some you would uh, advise people to buy if they're looking into, into getting their first MFK call. But before we do that, um, speaking of, you know, this property that we hunt a couple hours out, I love to hear advice from what, what I would consider, you know, very, very professional coyote hunters that have had such great success like yourself with this. Now, in this situation, there, there's coyotes out there everywhere. Um, our neighbor down there, you know, he has, he's got a ton of land. Uh, we've got about 40 acres there. He's got way more than that, but he's bordered on our 40 acres. And from what he says, you know, he sees coyotes all the time. Hears them just about every single night. Uh, he, you know, his daughter, I believe he said, shot her first one at, you know, four years old or something right there on the property. They're just everywhere. But what I've noticed is any trail cam picture we've ever gotten on that property. And anytime I've, you know, ever heard them or anything has been at night. Um, now there is an exception and I do want to get your opinion on this one night. I went there with a buddy and there was just, you know, it was that, that window where there's maybe 20 minutes left of daylight. Um, and so I took the caller, uh, you know, I, I forget what we're even doing, checking the trail cam or something like that. Um, some other things out there getting ready for deer season, but I put out the collar and I did a lone female howl. And so, you know, nothing happened five minutes later. And this sequence still plays in my mind today. Cause I wonder what did I do wrong in this moment? But so I played the lone female call five minutes, nothing five minutes later, I hit the lone female call again, then about a minute and a half to two minutes from there, um, directly to our left felt pretty close a call comes out um and so there, there's a coyote howling at us and then it just spread like a wildfire, and it was the coolest thing and something i hadn't quite experienced in this way where they just start howling from a certain direction it was like literally there was a ring around us with gasoline we lit that ring and the fire just started going around because that coyote started howling and then next to it a little more to the north more coyotes and it just started to spread around us. Then more to the, you know, the northeast, and it just circled us. And finally, we had a circle going around us. And it was just really, I mean, I got chills because it was such a cool experience, just how right. it started. It wasn't just from one area. It started to circle us like a fire going around us. And so, you know, I thought they were about to come in. You know, we had our weapons ready. And then I think I did another female call. They really started going crazy. And now we can hear they're getting closer. I mean, they sound like. They sound like they're right next to us, but we don't see them yet. But we know they're close now. Um, So we actually got them to move to us. So I'm thinking, okay, this is it. Then I made the move that still kind of haunts me to this day. But I'd seen so much about pup distress. I mean, I'm talking from everyone. In every coyote group I'm in, from every, just everything. I've seen the, you know, every praises the wonders of pup distress. And I've seen it work in videos. So I know it does. But I hit the pup distress. Now, in this moment, when I hit the pup distress, immediately, those coyotes were silenced, every single one of them. And so I waited, waited. Now we're up to five minutes. I'm getting nervous because we don't hear anything. We don't see anything. 
I hit pup, pup distress one more time, nothing. Waited a couple more minutes, hit the lone female call, nothing. I mean, from that point on, it was over. It's like once I hit that pup distress, it was done. And I know it could be the situation. I, I tried to think it through in my mind. I thought maybe because I did a lone female call and they're picturing a female alone. They come in and all of a sudden I, there's pups everywhere. Maybe that freaked them out and they knew something was wrong. What's kind of your take on this, not really knowing the terrain, the situation? You know, all I can tell you really was it's, it's in Georgia uh, in a more northern zone. Other than that, you know, there's not a lot I can give. What is kind of your take of, of what could have happened and gone wrong in the situation? I doubt that it had anything to do necessarily with you playing pup distress, but I guess the first question I'd ask you would be, were you in an open area and were they in woods or cover? Right. So this was a very wooded uh, side of our property. So the whole thing was wooded. We were in thick woods, but really all the directions we heard them, um, from what I know of the terrain, even beyond our property, pretty much the only thing they could have been in as well was thick woods like us. So I thought there was a better chance of them popping out. Um, you know, I know if we'd been in open terrain, they probably would have spotted us in a second. They still could have spotted us. That's definitely something that crosses my mind. Even though we were in thick woods, we weren't in tree stands. We weren't in a blind. Um, you know, we were just, uh, you know, on the ground. But so that's that's pretty much the situation as far as the surroundings. Well, I was just curious if there were edges between, not so much that they saw you or anything like that. I was just wondering if, if there were edges like a field edge or anything like that uh, between you and them, a lot of times what I run into, and I do this regular, uh, especially you can see it on a lot of our hunt videos. When coyotes, when you, when you vocalize and coyotes answer you, a lot of times that initial vocalization, them answering, as long as you're in a spot that they don't feel threatened by and you don't move from that spot, and you continue to call from right there, a lot of times you won't call coyotes up. More often than not, especially in thicker stuff, you can get by with more distance in open areas. When I'm calling coyotes, say in Oklahoma, Texas, more more open ground, I can get coyotes to come to my howling or come to my pup distress, whatever the sound is. I can get them to come to it from a lot farther distance. When I'm hunting in more thick stuff like South Arkansas where I live, a lot of times I have to be really close. There was a hunt just the other day that I videoed where I moved on these coyotes, I think four or five times. And at times they were answering me and were probably were within 200 yards. And I played two or three different sounds and couldn't get them to come in. And I moved a little bit closer. And then I had seven come, the whole group, all seven wow. coyotes came in at one time. So a lot of times I think in a situation like that, and it's just a guess, but my guess would be that those coyotes answered you were comfortable at, you know, they didn't make a, they didn't advance on you because you were, you were far enough away. And sometimes that distance doesn't have to be that far. If the situation isn't just right, they won't come to the call. You may move 50 yards towards them and that pressure towards them, that move towards them is just as important, if not more so than the calling that you do, because that, once they howl back and vocalize back and you move towards them, it's it's almost like a threat or a, a pressure type situation where that distance, you closing distance on them, triggers a response in them more so than the calling does. And I guess uh, something I could relate it to is if you've ever seen a yard dog in its own yard and a stray dog or somebody else's dog is outside the perimeter of their yard. 
you know, he may bark and carry on, but he doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to that other dog as long as it stays at a what it considers a, a non-threatening distance. But if ever if it ever crosses that boundary line into the the yard dog's yard, then a lot of times you'll have a lot different reaction. You know, a fight breaks out or it runs the other dog out of the yard or or whatever. And I think coyotes a lot of times react the same way as long as the strange coat that's howling, which is you, is at a at a distance that they're comfortable with. Right. They'll sit out there and listen to it, regardless of whether you play pup distress or a fight sound or whatever. Sometimes it just doesn't trigger them to come in. And you may move 50 yards or 100 yards, whatever you can get by with. I always go by however far I think I can move without busting them. If that's sometimes in, in the woods, it may only be 30 yards. Other times I may get by with moving 75 to 100 yards, depending on how you know everything lays out and what I can get by with. But a lot of times when I move, I may play the same sounds again, and all of a sudden they run over me. So I, I typically think a situation like what you describe is not so much that you scared them with, uh, you know, playing pup distress or something like that, but just the situation wasn't wasn't something they wanted to come into. And that, I mean, there's so many different variables, and people will give you, you know, all kinds of of what you should have done and all that kind of stuff. But more often than not, I think it's a distance deal, regardless of how far that is. Cause I've had people tell me, you know, they were like they were within 200 yards. They were plenty close enough. Sometimes that's not close enough for whatever reason, you know, it's other times you can call them 500 yards because the situation is right. But, you know, if they're comfortable with where their position is versus where your position is, sometimes you have to move just a little bit to, to trigger response out of some of those codes. Absolutely. And I think that's a great uh, analogy with a yard dog. And that very likely was the situation. Now I know there's not always a great answer for this, but considering, you know, in a property like that, there's a lot of hunters in the same boat, you know, maybe they've got 40 acres, maybe they've got, you know, even less. Um, for them when their, their moves are limited, right? Because, you know, our neighbor now he has plenty of, you know, he can move so many times on his property to hunt them, but for somebody who has less, uh, land to move on them, what's the best way, even though it's, it definitely limits the possibilities. What is the best way to get them to travel farther than others would? Is there a certain call that will do that? Is there a certain, you know, bait you can use as you call? Uh, is there something that just sort of ups those odds that maybe they'll go a little bit further? Maybe they'll leave the yard, so to speak, and come out a little further into your territory. When you've moved as far as you can move, I, I always treat a coyote the same way that I do a turkey in that if I'm dealing with vocal coyotes or coyotes that may not vocalize, but I'm pretty sure where, they at, where they're at, I know their location. I'm always going to try to get as close as possible before I really start burning their ears with a lot of sounds. Now, once you run out of moves, whether that be because of a property line or because of, there's an open area you don't think you can cross without being busted, whatever the situation is, when you run out of moves, then it all goes back to your calling and your calling sequence and trying to use sounds that trip as many triggers as possible, or, or this is the way I approach it. So I'm going to try to use one or two sounds from each what I would call trigger categories within a, within a cow, basically their emotions. So, you know, I'm going to try to use some howls, some vocalizations to trip territorial stuff, social response. I use a lot of social interaction sounds, which are 
more subtle, intimate sounds where the coyotes are playing and stuff like that. Uh, hunger stuff, which is going to be your prey sounds. I'll throw two or three different prey sounds out. I'm usually only running these sounds maybe a couple minutes. And a lot of times I'll pause my sounds. And then I'm going to throw out something in the, uh, you know, a little more aggressive, like uh, some fight sounds. And the order that you put these in is up to you. But um, I'll also try to play on instinctual stuff like pup distress, throw out two or three different pup distress sounds. But I just try to work my way through all the different possibilities that I could trigger a coyote on. So territorial hunger, instinctual parental type stuff, fighting triggers, breeding triggers, anything that you can think of that might trigger them. I want to make sure that I play one or two sounds from each one of those categories when I've run out of, of moves otherwise, because that's all you can rely on then. And hopefully uh, it may not work every time. There's there's no sound sequence or magic sounds that's going to call a coat if you're not in the right spot. But when you have run out of moves or a property line hangs you up or something like that, using multiple sounds from multiple trigger categories is your best bet at, you know, trying to call something up. Absolutely. That's great advice. And, you know, before we get into the different MFK calls, um, you know, as far as weapons, you know, even generally just between shotgun, bow and rifle, I kind of want to lay out some scenarios and see what you'd recommend in different ones. Now, I've seen a lot of uh, videos, even from from Western hunting to Eastern hunting um, and just the differences in those. But watching when there's some kind of decoy out, whether it's something spinning on an e-collar, whether it's an actual, you know, uh, like coyote replica decoy, whatever kind of decoys people put out. What I've seen so many times is the coyote runs in, nips at the decoy, realizes in a millisecond that that is not real and takes off. So in those situations, would you say it'd be better to use something quick and reactive like a shotgun rather than something where you got to take your time like a rifle or a bow? Or what, how do you kind of feel out what weapon to use in what situation? Yeah, I, I think based on that, it's more of a, just a common sense type deal. You know, if you're, if you're expecting longer shots and open ground, a rifle is going to be your better choice. If you're expecting fast action, moving in close, you know, shotgun's going to be your, your best option. And then of course the bow is more of, you know, that's going to be, I actually do a lot of uh, bow hunting for coyotes, especially this year, but that's more of a challenge deal where it's, you know, you're bow hunting because you want to, not necessarily because it's ever the, I think a shotgun's always the better choice over a bow as far as if you're trying to kill because range is going to be similar and all that kind of stuff. And the shotgun's obviously going to be quicker and more reliable for getting kills. So, you know, just a common sense type deal, kind of knowing what you're going to be dealing with terrain wise, shot distance, all that kind of stuff. And, and going from there on, you know, which one you feel like you'd have your highest odds. Absolutely. And, you know, from what I've seen from your hunts and what's really impressive to me is that, you know, in a lot of the videos I've seen, I can't recall off the top of my head even seeing decoys. It's just you and thick cover. And in some of these videos, I, I've sent these to so many people just where you're sitting there and you you blow an MFK call and that coyote is there in one to five minutes. I mean, I've seen that so many times and you have no decoy. It comes right out in front of you. But for a second to switch to decoys. And in, in your experience and from what you've seen and from what you've experienced, um, is there a certain decoy that once that coyote gets in range and can see that's going to work better, whether that's 
a rabbit, more of a prey decoy or a coyote itself, or just something spinning on an e-collar? Is there something that really triggers that, that vision response and will bring them in quicker than something else? I don't know if the, if one decoy is, is necessarily better than the other. I haven't used a lot of decoys and I'll, I'll give you my honest opinion on decoys. They're really neat to use. They're fun to use when they work. But my experience with decoys has always been, I think a coyote that's going to hard charge a decoy is a hard charging coyote most of the time anyway. So the decoy is gotcha. typically not, uh, not necessary, but I have seen, many times where a decoy acts as a hang up and the coyote see it and it you may have a coyote coming in working in and they see the decoy and they either hang up and watch it or they start to circle downwind quicker than they would have had the decoy not been there and so i'm not i'm not a decoy guy uh now when they do work it's exciting it's fun uh, all that kind of stuff and i've actually got a couple buddies that uh have been using some coyote decoys uh, that man the footage when it works is awesome but they've also told me that you know they have just as many if not more coyotes react negatively to it than act positive when they do act positive it's really aggressive right there in your face you know in your lap action but a lot of times it costs you coyotes too when it hangs them up or causes them to flare or something like that uh, before you're ready. So, you know, to answer your question as far as a rabbit or one spinning decoy versus another, uh, I don't really have a preference. I do think the more sporadic or the controlled decoys to where it's just sitting there and you're controlling it with a remote to where you can make it spin a little and, and stop if you want to. You know, I like that style better if I was going to use one where I had more control over it rather than something that's just sitting out there constantly spinning. That way you do have, you know, if you've got a coyote somewhere and, and you want to get his attention, you have the option of kicking that on. Because I, I do think if you had that ability, there might be coyotes that are hanging up that, that need to see something. And that may trigger them to come in. So in, in a situation like that, um uh, if I were going to use a decoy, that's the style that I would use, something that I could control, watch a coyote's body language, and if he wasn't in range and I felt like he was fisting to leave, I could go to that visual trigger with the decoy kind of as a last resort and uh, and see if I could get that coyote to commit. Absolutely, and, you know, that's great advice because, uh, you know, you don't really hear a lot about them hanging up, but I could totally see, even as you said it, I can just picture that in my head, a coyote just – you know, even laying down and just watching that thing and just waiting to see what happens. But in so many of the videos and the, the shows of, of other um, other hunters that really love using decoys, there is that excitement. Just like you said, it does bring that excitement. But I'm sure that, you know, for the sake of the show, they don't show those times when they hang up. Um, so that's a lot of thing, uh, you know, something that a lot of hunters may not know, especially the ones, you know, rushing out to get decoys. They may not know necessarily that, that is something that's going to hang them up. So that's some great advice. An insight right there. Yeah, and um, one thing to one thing to always consider on videos, TV shows, and all that kind of stuff is, you know, promotional sponsorships and stuff like that. So, you know, sometimes you don't get the the big picture on certain products. They're not going to show you, and uh, you know, a coat that doesn't get killed or something like that, or things don't go right. A lot of times, those hunts don't make the cut anyway. But you know, they they definitely. Uh, have the tendency to 
hang a coyote up or cause it to circle down wind at times. And then at other times they, they'll run over and, you know, slide into the call when you shoot them. So it's, I guess it all depends on the hunter and whether or not he wants to, to use a decoy and whether or not he feels like it, it helps him out. Kind of like with camouflage. I'm not, I don't wear camouflage that much, nothing against it. Um, I used to deck out in camouflage and then I had hunts where I didn't wear it and I didn't see any difference. And then I learned more about coyote vision and what they trigger on and, and stuff like that. And I kill them. I mean, I kill them at close range all the time. So it's one of those deals where when people ask me about camo, I don't ever tell them not to wear camo and I wouldn't tell somebody not to use a decoy. I just kind of give them my opinion on it. And with the camo stuff, I always tell them, you know, if that makes you feel more confident to wear camo and you feel more concealed, you feel more confident in your setup, then you should wear it. And same thing with a decoy. If a decoy makes you feel more confident in your setup and, you know, you think it's up in your odds, then you should probably use one. No, I'm so glad you bring this up about camo because that is something I had that I wanted to ask you about um, a little later. But since you brought it up, I'm glad you did. Now, I thought I had noticed that in a lot of your videos, now I feel like I've seen videos where maybe you were wearing camo, but I'm not sure. I know I've seen a lot of videos where you were not wearing camo. Maybe you had, you know, just a t-shirt and blue jeans, what a hat, whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm glad you brought this up. Now, does this same thing apply to coyotes and deer, or is it just mainly for coyotes that you don't feel the need to wear camo? Um, I mean, obviously back in the day, you know, before, cause there was kind of a, a point, you know, in time when camo became a big thing in hunting, it became a big marketing thing. And obviously there, you know, um, some different areas where maybe it's better to use than not, but in general, is this something that for coyotes you don't wear or for deer or anything, or how does that work? Mammals versus birds. If I'm hunting birds, gotcha. um, I'm decked out in camo because they see colors and they see all the details and they'll pick you out in a heartbeat. And that goes for ducks, crows, turkeys, whatever, uh, for mammals, deer, coyotes, fox, bobcat, all that kind of stuff. It's motion. It's motion right. that you've got to worry about, not so much the colors and all that. Camo hides people from people and hides people from birds and, you know, things that have detailed color and depth perception and stuff like that, that, uh, that coyotes and deer don't have. And so, you know, it's, it's all about, for me, knowing what I know about the animals and, and how they see. And then, of course, you know, doing it all the time. And the reason I'll tell you what the deal is with uh, some of the videos, you'll see me in camo and some you won't almost exclusively when you see me in camo, it's either relate. If I'm coyote hunting, uh, say in conjunction with a turkey hunt, I'm going to be in camo because I'm camoed out for turkey hunting. Also, a lot of my warm winter clothes that I wear deer hunting just happen to be camouflaged. Now, I have a lot of other stuff that's solid colors, um, you know, that's not camouflaged. But a lot of times, if you see me on winter hunts, I may be wearing camo simply because there's so many good, soft, quiet clothing that happens to be camo because it's associated with, you know, winter hunting and the elements and all that kind of stuff. So I end up with camouflage clothes because of that not necessarily because i'm trying to hide from a deer or a coyote that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense and you know as far as the mfk calls because i know this is what you're about uh the calls look amazing you know this who's like maybe they've seen one of your videos uh 
and, and seeing how successful you are and they've been thinking about getting into MFK, um, you know, what is sort of your advice for an intro caller? Maybe, you know, something that's just going to give you because there's so many different uh, scenarios. There's different terrains. There's different, uh, you know, west versus east. But just in general, for any coyote hunter who wants to get started, the best all around MFK caller for getting a coyote enclosed, what would you suggest? You're, you're talking about the diaphragms, the air-powered calls? or Yes. Yeah, calls. absolutely. Okay. Uh, on, on the air-powered calls, if I could only have one call, it would be one of the diaphragm howlers. Uh, I can do all the coyote vocalizations, pup distress, and you can get by with a lot of the prey distress sounds too. But probably the best thing for somebody getting started and wanting you know, a full range of all the sounds they would need I'd go with the MFK starter pack. It's going to give you a howler, an easy-to-use, easy-to-learn howler that'll do all your cow vocalizations and pup distress. It'll have a bee mouth in there that'll do your more mellow, cleaner sound and prey distress like fawn, kitten, stuff like that. And then you'll have one called a double slash that's going to do your raspier prey sounds like your rabbits, your birds, your rodents. And so that'll cover pretty much the full range of popular predator sounds that people typically use to call in coyotes, fox, bobcats, etc. Absolutely. And, you know, those those diaphragm callers are what I've seen a lot of and seen you use uh, and your team and seen a lot of success with that. Now, does MFK also have some different e-caller options available? Well, we're actually, we're partnered with Fox Pro, so we exclusively sell Fox Pro brand e-calls, and then we also have our sound library that's exclusive to Fox Pro e-calls. So we have our MF- MFK edition Fox Pros, which come preloaded with not only Fox Pros library, but also sounds from our library. And then anybody that owns a Fox Pro call, regardless of who they bought it from, they can, as long as it's a programmable call, they have the ability to add sounds, any of our sounds, MFK sounds to their, to their Fox Pro call. But we, we carry, uh, we carry the Fox Pro Inferno, we carry the Shockwave, we carry the uh, X2S, the X24, and the X-Wave. Those are the ones that we typically stock uh, as MFK edition calls. And they can, you know, people can find all of those on the website or they can call us, email us, and get custom order uh, Fox Pro calls with whatever they want on it, you know, as far as sound packages. Absolutely. Well, it's great to know you're partnered with Fox Pro. Um, A buddy of mine, you know, he's always lived in Georgia, but he just bought his first Coyote uh, e-caller and it did happen to be a Fox Pro. And he's about to buy, uh, you know, some acreage out in Alabama. So I know he's from what he's heard, the area uh, has a lot of coyotes. So he's looking, you know, looking into getting started with that Fox Pro and seeing how how that goes. Um, Now, as far as... um, you know, the diaphragm calls that you use and that you recommend, you know, like I've seen a lot of those videos where with those diaphragm MFK calls, those are the ones where I've seen you call them in, in one minute, three minutes. And so, you know, and, and I know there's some options you said as well, where they're easier to use for starters, as you said. Now for some of those, I would imagine it took a lot of practice to get to the level you're at where you can call them in that quickly. Um, what would you say to speak to that and sort of just the way you would practice and, and kind of improve your improve your craft with calling them. Well, when I got, like I told you earlier, I'm extremely competitive with myself. So, you know, I'll, I'll set goals for myself. I never reach them. I never get good enough. So I'm always trying to get better and better. And when I started building these calls, 
Uh, my background was in building turkey calls and, you know, I always wanted to sound more like a turkey, more like a turkey. So I would play with stuff and I did the same thing with the predator calls. And as far as the way, you know, a lot of the, the calls that we released to the market, there was nothing like that out there with some of the coon diaphragms, fox diaphragms, you know, sounds that were produced on diaphragm calls that didn't exist prior to MFK. And the way that I taught myself to do those sounds was mimicking this is the way that i tell people to practice when they get a, a mfk call or any diaphragm this would apply to any diaphragm the way to practice and, and become better or at least get started is what i've always done is try to mimic the animal that i'm trying to recreate to the best of my ability with my natural voice without putting the call in i'm just doing this with my natural voice and a lot of times especially with my voice being raspy. And I mean, it sounds nothing like the animal that I'm trying to reproduce, but what it does, it gives me the mouth movements, the mouth formations, the throat rolls, if they're required, like for coon distress and, and some other sounds. It, uh, it allows me to see how I need to form my mouth, my lips, my jaw movement, all of those things. And kind of the, the sequence that I'm using air pressure to. And a lot of times when you put a call in your mouth, especially if you're new to it, it changes all of that. You know, you, you don't feel comfortable with your mouth movements. So if you do that first using your natural voice and then put the call in your mouth and remember and pay attention, cadence with air pressure, all that kind of stuff. If you remember that and try to do those same things with the call in your mouth, let the call take the place of your natural voice and it produced the sound but you still go through those same motions of moving your mouth producing the airflow all of those kind of things it'll get you started really quick and you know help you progress and get better with your calling as you practice on it so for example just a real easy example if you were to try to howl like a coyote and you did that sound with your voice where you go oh and try to mimic a howl and you pay attention, you know, your lips are going to form a circular shape and, you know, your jaw is going to hold a, a constant spot a lot of times. And so you can go through those motions with your natural voice, get really, really close to producing those sounds a lot quicker than you would if you just popped the call in your mouth and started trying to do it from scratch with the call in. Those, those mouth movements will get you there a lot quicker practicing those mouth movements without the call. Absolutely. And, you know, just with you talking about uh, the way you perfected your craft and got better at calling, it does make me think in the moment, you know, it just hit me. Um, now, do you ha happen to have any uh, diaphragm calls near you by any chance that maybe you could demonstrate one? If you don't, it's no problem. But if you happen to, uh, I was just curious. I, d I don't have one right here with me. I wish I okay, did. No, I, know, I, just, I just kind of sprung that one upon you. So uh, that's no problem. But you brought up, um, you know, your competitive nature a couple times now in the beginning and now. And so, you know, um, growing up, uh, I've always been my brother and I have been very similar. We're very competitive people. Um, we went through a school system where you know, there's a lot of, of weight training, no matter what sport you play. There's a lot of weight training that just happens in general. Uh, I took weight training all through high school just because I loved being in the gym so much. And it kind of um, was a place where I could put a lot of energy into that competitive part of myself. And that fed into college. And obviously, it's no right. secret when people see your videos, they know immediately, okay, this guy works out. 
Um, if you could, <laughs> right? So if you could, why don't you sort of tell us how that feeds into now, not saying that, oh, you have to be, because there's plenty of hunters that, you know, they're not in great shape at all. There's plenty of hunters that are in just in great cardiovascular shape, like for Western hunts where they've right. got to move on a mule deer or a moose. But, there, and then there's hunters like yourself that are bodybuilding really. And, but how can you speak to that? How it helps your hunting, not in the sense of just, you know, um, being in that physical fitness, but the mental side of it, what it takes to keep yourself in that condition and what it takes to be successful at hunting. Cause I know there's a correlation there and I feel like you could speak to that. I think the main correlation is just dedication to anything. And, and, you know, a lot of people have asked me about the weightlifting and gym stuff. I don't talk a whole lot about it. Um, it's something that I've always done. I just, I've, I've always challenged myself with whatever it is. And that's kind of why I work out and, and did the, the bodybuilding stuff was it's a challenge. I, I, I don't like to work out, but I like challenging myself with doing something that I don't necessarily want to do and making myself do it every day because I do feel a lot better when I do it. It's, you know, it's an accomplishment each and every day. And it does help me with, uh, you know, with everything, not just hunting, but just anything you do, you know, you end up with, uh, you just have more energy. You know, I can walk and climb in hills, being in the heat, um, climbing trees and stuff like that. When I'm, when I'm deer hunting, you know, I don't get out of breath. Um, that stuff is anything that I do hunting related or, you know, if it hiking in to hunt or anything like that, covering distance, all of that kind of stuff is lightweight compared to what I put my body through in the gym. So it makes all of the just daily activities. It makes anything that I do much easier than uh, if I didn't work out and if I wasn't in the shape that I'm in, but I do all of that stuff just because uh, just my own personal belief. I think I should, you know, a man should be for me. This is not for everybody. So I'm not trying to, to come across that way, but for me, I like to be, you know, kind of the best that I can be. And I, I'm never good enough. You know, I'm, anything that I do, I always want more. So, you know, I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself to be stronger and bigger and better. And, you know, I do that with my, with my working out. And of course I'm getting older now, so I'm fighting the clock and it's not as easy, but I still, you know, I still push for that. And I do the same thing with building my calls and trying to produce the best sounds that I can uh, all that research that I do with the coyotes, the audio, uh, sound library stuff that I do. It's all, it's all personal competitive stuff. I'm not necessarily competing with anybody else. I mean, it kind of, I guess it, it crosses over into those lines just because, you know, anytime you're in a field, you're, you're competitive with, with other people, but that's not why I do it. It's all personal stuff. And, um, you know, the, the bodybuilding stuff, the working out relates to any and everything else I do. And I, I attack it with the same drive and motivation and all that kind of stuff. Even when I don't want to, a lot of times the, the stuff that I don't want to do is what drives me because of, of that goal at the end, which I never reach. I always push that goal when I'm getting close. I always push it a little farther away, push it a little farther away. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just how I try to, how I try to live my life and, and make myself better at, at anything that I'm into. 
And then if there's something I'm not interested in, I put zero effort into it, you know, at all. So, you know, I've, I've got to have that interest there to, to put time and, and dedication towards it. Absolutely. And I think you hit that correlation on the head. You know, it's like so many people um, that they do put that time in. And like you said, when you don't want to work out, you do. Uh, a lot of those, you know, types of people are the people that are successful in business. Um, they're just driven. They're successful in hunting. You know, there's plenty of hunters that are successful that, you know, don't spend a lot of time in the gym. But some of the ones I've met who are willing to go that extra 10 or 20 miles into the woods and drag a deer back that far or just go push through the rain or those types of things that they don't really want to push through the rain that day or trudge across a muddy, you know, swamp type terrain. They do it anyway to get that success. So there is that correlation there. Um, now, in terms of it, it seems like from your videos that a lot of the hunting and I could be totally wrong. Uh, but just sort of looking at the types of terrain I've seen, it seems a lot of the hunting you do and a lot of the hunting I've seen in the videos look like there may be possibly more on the eastern side of the United States. And that could be wrong. Where, where typically do you hunt in the United States? Well, a lot of the hunts are right here where I live, which is you. I mean, it, it is more eastern than anything, even though I'm west of the. In my truck, even though I'm west of the Mississippi. I'm in southeast Arkansas, so I'm I border the Mississippi right. River, and so it's heavy, heavily wooded, thick terrain, much like you find in right. more of the eastern states. I've hunted Mississippi, Alabama, hunt Tennessee a good bit with some of my buddies out there, and it's all wooded, similar type terrain um, to what I hunt. But and then of course got a lot of my guys in Virginia, which is eastern, and then of course the eastern coyote competition. You know, a lot of a lot of the guys I'm associated with or eastern um based and i've got guys out west too in texas and and stuff like that so and we hunt and you'll see videos from those places but primarily like you see it most of the most of the videos are a wood style thickets i've always called it briars and and bs but uh you know most of the hunts are filmed in and stuff like that real tight quarters eastern style hunting Right. And I think that's what drew me uh, to your videos specifically was because a lot of the hunting I'd seen previously for coyotes was Western. Um, I bought a trapping DVD for coyotes. I didn't know this. There was a Western and Eastern version, but it came back and it was the Western version. So I feel like everything I was seeing was West, 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 which just looks very different. And I'm always in, like you said, those tight corners, um, woods everywhere, trees everywhere, uh, brush everywhere, briars. And so to finally see someone hunting in that type of terrain and having great success uh, was eye-opening because you always hear people say, well, and this is what people say, but they say Eastern is tougher than Western. So I want to go into that just for a second. Uh, you've had some experience hunting out West, although a lot of your hunting takes place in Eastern type terrain. What is your experience? Is it easier, as many say, to call a coyote out in Arizona, in New Mexico, in Utah, than Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, or is it the same if you just know what you're doing? How, how does it kind of work? <laughs> Boy, that's a that's one of those heated conversations right there, but I'll give you my <laughs> honest opinion on it. Most of the time, regardless of where, you, where you're at, I do think coyote calling for the most part is coyote calling, regardless of where you are. But there are certain things that make it harder or easier, and population being one of them, Western populations are typically higher per you know, per acreage than Eastern populations. You know, Texas has a lot higher population than 
Arkansas, than Virginia, than any of those eastern states. Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, all those places, you know, a lot higher coyote population. So that makes it easier when you have a population, a higher population. If you've got more animals, you, your odds are higher. Terrain is the other thing, and, and possibly that that could possibly be the biggest difference. When you're hunting thick terrain where you can only see 30, 40 yards versus wide open ground where you can see farther than you can shoot, it's easier. It's easier to, you know, you have more opportunities to kill in open ground. So it's it's not so much eastern coyotes being harder or smarter to kill than western coyotes, which a lot of times I think that's the direction that the topic goes and why western hunters and eastern hunters will get into it over that that conversation. You know, it's almost like they're saying your coyotes are easier to call and kill than my coyotes. And I think it's more related to population densities and the, the setup with terrain more than anything. But I, I will also say this, and this will make some people mad, but it's it's the truth. You can take, uh, and it doesn't matter if they're from the east or the west, but you can take a woods hunter, thicket hunter, and he will have an easier time transitioning over to open ground and have a lot easier time calling and killing those coyotes than if you take an open ground hunter and bring him to thicket hunting. They're out of their element and they don't, it's not as easy. I'm not saying they wouldn't figure it out, but it's not as easy a transition. If you take somebody that hunts thick ground and take them to open ground, they'll wear coyotes out because they can see farther in their setups. When you're hunting tight terrain, it forces you to, be better with your call placement, be better with your setups. There are a lot more things to consider. You can't see the downwind side as far, so your setups have to be better. Uh, somebody that hunts thick ground has to strategize more than somebody that hunts open ground, just for the simple fact that your visibility is not as good. So, you know, you're calling coyotes closer, and in, and in order to call coyotes closer, everything has to be better. And when you take somebody that's hunted open ground where they can see set on the side of a hill and, and overlook, you know, all the way around them, then their setup is not as critical. A lot of them, I don't even think, put a whole lot of, of thought into, and it's not necessarily. A lot of times you can just throw the call out somewhere and, and watch for the cow to pop up somewhere and shoot him at three 400 yards. Uh, you don't have to worry about him being in cover and circling downwind and smelling you without you even being able to see him and stuff like that. So, the, I guess the short answer to the question is, yes, eastern hunting is harder than western hunting because of population densities and cover, thick cover. Absolutely. I love the way you answered that question because it wasn't emotionally answered like a lot of hunters do. Like you said, oh, yeah, your coyotes are easier to kill and start all that. It's very logically based the way you answered that and very true and to the point that you know it's the population density that's a huge part of it having way more coyotes and then that open terrain where you can see and shoot a lot farther um so that you know that's a great point now we're close to closing before we get into the closing where i'm going to ask you just your most memorable coyote hunt you've ever had which i know could probably be challenging because you've had so much success with it it'd probably be very difficult to pinpoint one hunt in particular but before we even get there the last thing i want to touch before we get to the closing is wolf hunting now I don't know if you've ever done wolf hunting. That's something I was kind of, you know, prying into here. But also, if you have, or even if you haven't, um, if you have, what are the similarities and differences there? Because obviously, 
you know, they're another wild canine that howls, right? But the right. howls are very different. Um, but in the same sense, you know, what similarities are there to that kind of hunting and what differences are there? Well, I, I won't even try to act like that I'm, you know, an expert on the wolf hunting. I've just recently got an interest in it. Uh, I've got some buddies that are fixing to go on a wolf hunt and they've been doing a lot of research on it. And I've, that has piqued my interest because I may do it too in the coming years. But as far as my experience with wolf hunting, I don't have any from what I've learned. I think there are similarities in the, you know, the locating the wolves with howls, trying to be in the area that they're in as close as possible. And then either howling or using prey distress sounds to call them in much like you would uh, a coyote. But uh, I'm getting my information from, you know, I've got, um, uh, Dayton Farr and, and Jamie Terry, uh, Kyle Crickenberger, they're all going on a wolf hunt. And I think uh, uh, Tom Austin with Fox Pro was giving them some information. So I don't want to act like that, uh, that any of this is coming from me. And then everything else that I've learned about wolf hunting has been either from watching, just watching hunts and kind of paying, not so much watching the hunt to see them kill the wolf as I am paying attention to time of the year calls that they used what the wolf responded to you know trying to pick up on stuff that's something that people can pick up on from watching videos is paying a paying more attention to time of the year that those hunts take place if it tells and the sounds that were used whether it be coyotes wolves whatever elk um, all that kind of stuff paying and uh, and of course area where they're at what state they're in all that kind of stuff but uh most of my wolf hunting knowledge hadn't been direct it's it's secondhand information that i've gained from you know other people that have either told me stuff or stuff that i've watched online right absolutely it just seems like you know both uh both pique my interest but it does seem like coyotes have so many different variations of howls and different kinds of crazy sounds whereas the wolf has that more deep longer drawn out howl and it doesn't seem and there may be um i'm in a similar but i don't know nearly you know as much about wolf hunting but it seems like uh at least that coyotes may have a lot more different types of variations but um would definitely be interested to see you know what your experience becomes in wolf hunting now as far as closing out the show we've had a great episode and everybody please go check out mfk howls um mfk callers and get some different callers and, and howls to use add those to your repertoire because they've got some incredible products and again uh you can follow the MFK Callers uh, YouTube channel and see all that in action. All kinds of videos, um, you know, in thick cover and really see those situations where it seems like it'd be difficult. You can really see through, uh, through Tori and this company, the success you can have with these callers. But to close this out, um, walk us through maybe, you know, I'm sure you have endless amounts of, of mem- memories hunting coyotes, but maybe for whatever reason, one of the most memorable coyote hunts you've ever had in your life. <laughs> man i've been thinking about that since you mentioned it earlier and and i don't know there's one thing i do want to say before we close out i really haven't had a chance to mention it but you know the way mfk come about just all my buddies i didn't have marketing money or anything to get this started so mfk was all came about from close friends family my parents um uh, and, and I'm not going to try to name them by name because there's just too many, but they know who they are. All my buddies that have helped me out along the way. And then, of course, all the customers who I stay very, I'm very uh, interactive with 
with all our customers. Um, so I want to I want to make sure that I get that in there. Thank all those people that helped get MFK where it is. And then as far as memorable hunts, it ties right into that because I've had so many memorable hunts. I'm glad that 90% of them are, are on video. Uh, somebody else that needs mentioned, uh, Spike Davis, that does all the cartoon stuff for us. Um, big, big supporter MFK. But the memorable hunts, him included, uh, I've had numerous hunts with those people that have helped get mfk where they're at so all of them it'd be hard to pick just one um but if i had to pick one hunt it would probably be and maybe because of the name of the video too uh but there's one on there called uh coyote daddy and the big blonde that's a, a video that we've got and it's a hunt that i did with my dad buddy dayton far videoed it and we've been on multiple hunts, but I think that was the first videoed coyote hunt that we went on, even though I've been hunting with him my whole life. And him and my mom got me to this point. You know, he taught me, I, I consider myself above MFK. You ask me what I do, I'm a woodsman. And I learned that from my dad. He taught me all the basics of that, tracks, directions in the woods, all that kind of stuff. And then my mom is where a lot of the competitive drive and just my personal criticism of myself, all that come from so um i guess the most memorable hunt would have to be that coat daddy and the big blonde just because it ties directly into how i got my start from a child absolutely and thank you for sharing that everybody check out that video on youtube i know i'm gonna go check it out uh and tori i just want to thank you for taking your time today speaking to our listeners um you know we at this point we have listeners in 11 different countries around the world and I know that all of them are going to love this episode because a lot of our episodes where we've even mentioned coyotes have skyrocketed in listens. And now this episode is 100% all about coyotes. So I know they're going to love what you had to say. Tori, thank you again for joining us today. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I enjoyed it. And uh, thanks again. Absolutely. Oh, take care. You too. Thanks for joining us on the Sam Hunter Podcast, where we discuss all things hunting, trapping, and fishing. Be sure to tune in next time, and we'll see you there.